it's just um, just uh, some verses here which are pertinent to uh, the message this morning. Uh, chapter 6, Ephesians from verse 10. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore put on the full armour of God so that you may so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. May the Lord add his blessing to that reading from his word and then we move back to Galatians and chapter one and it's the Galatian epistle that we're looking at again this morning Galatians and chapter one and I'll just read down from verse one to verse 10 just to get it in context Paul speaking writing to the Galatians says Paul an apostle sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than that which you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his precious word this morning. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come around your word together again this morning. We pray that you would open your word to us and speak to us through 
this glorious message to the Galatians. O Lord, that we may be encouraged and built up in the faith and standing firm for your gospel and for your truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, Paul is um, writing to the uh, Galatian churches here, and he's writing with uh, great concern for their spiritual welfare. They've, they've heard the gospel of uh, grace preached to them on that first missionary journey, but um, they've begun to listen to a certain group of people described as the Judaizers. And these people wish to apply the rules and the legalism and the rituals of Judaism to the gospel, creating a, a watered-down message that Paul declares is no gospel at all, a contaminated message. The message to the Galatians, which Paul is declaring here, and as we open up this letter in future weeks, we shall see it more and more, He's declaring to them there is no other gospel than the gospel of free grace. There's no compromise with those who would like to introduce rules and regulations to the Christian faith, or those who suggest that Jesus is not enough, that his sacrifice is not enough to save to the uttermost all who accept him as Savior and Lord. Paul is not interested here in being popular. He's God's man with a commission to protect and to preach the gospel of free grace. And he's a man, as we discovered in the first couple of verses there, he's a man who knows who he is. He's a man who has a living testimony. And he's a man who knows his place within the, the, the plan of God, if you like. And we've said already in that this is so important for each of us to be people who are confident in who we are and in the ministries that we have and not to be apologetic in any way for those ministries that we have. And we're working through this morning this introduction here where Paul is seeking to establish or re-establish rather his authority and to confirm this gospel message that he first delivered to the Galatians there on that first missionary journey. Now you remember last time that I, I tried to give a brief summary of those first couple of verses because we'd been through those verses at an earlier date before the lockdown. And this morning we are come to verse 3, verse 3 in Galatians and chapter 1 where we read, Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this epistle is peculiar by the fact that it uh, does not contain any commendation to the people to whom he writes. If you look in the other letters that Paul writes, he's very concerned to identify the good that is happening within those churches and to encourage people in what they are doing well. And that's always important that where we see uh, good things happening and where we see Christians who are working uh, in some ways, they're doing good work, then we should acknowledge that. But Paul doesn't do that here. 
even to churches like the Corinthian church where they had all sorts of difficulties and problems, Paul still has time to commend them for certain things they are doing right, but not here to the Galatians. Paul is very concerned and there's, a, there's an anger, there's an indignation on behalf of God that these people have um, turned away and he's not at all pleased and he's determined to get right into this letter and to try to put right that which is going desperately wrong with these people. But even though he doesn't give any any particular uh, commendations, he does give this uh, lovely um, greeting, if you like, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now peace to you was a, was a common greeting of the day. It was the greeting that was um, polite. It, uh, it, it fulfilled the etiquette of the day. Another one was joy, but peace was certainly one of the main ones. And uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was something that people tended to do anyway at the beginning of a letter. And uh, what greater uh, kindness, if you like, what greater wish could you uh, have uh, for people that you met than that they should enjoy peace peace in a, a fragile world peace in a time of occupations and rebellions and uncertainties this was paul's world this was the world of the galatian church it was a world that had seen the uh, the the uh, uh, the coming of of uh, of um of Alexander the Great, we, they, they bringing in the, the Greek culture and the, the occupation of the, the Greek troops. And then there was the, the splitting up of the kingdom of Alexander between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. And, uh, and, and, and all that was going on. And then there was the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes, that uh, wicked uh, leader of the Seleucid dynasty who considered himself... Uh, God incarnate or God manifest, the way he, he treated people, the way he treated the Jews, the, the, the slaughter of 40,000 Jews, the, uh, uh, the desecration of the temple in Jerusalem. And, uh, and then there was the rise of the Maccabees, those heroes of the, uh, of the Jews. And uh, after that, a short period of, uh, of time of peace until the Romans came and then the, the Romans take over and the and, they, uh, and Palestine becomes a, a province of uh, a Roman province of Syria. There was all this, all this going on in the days in which uh, the Apostle Paul lived, and uh, under his ministry, uh, uh, Claudius was the uh, the Roman ruler. But as we know, if you know anything of Roman uh, history, there was always infighting within the the Roman Empire. Claudius was the uh, what, what was the the ruler within the early part of Paul's ministry, but later on it was Nero, and uh, we all know if you now have any knowledge of uh, the history of the Christian Church, how wicked Nero was, how uh, how what a what a, a bad character, what a, uh, a mentally disturbed individual he was, and how he. Uh, would uh, attack the Christian church and how he uh, was responsible for the murder and for the torture of so many Christians. And all this was going on, all these days, these were the days in which the Apostle Paul lived, these were the days in which the Galatian uh, church lived and all these things were going on. 
And so Paul is, or so people generally were, were seeking peace, peace to you. That was the wish, even if it was a sincere one. Of course, some people would say peace just out of, uh, out of um, the fact that it was something to say. They, they didn't have any power to do anything about it, and they, uh, but it was just something nice to say. I'm reminded of, um, if you've seen the film The Hobbit, and uh, you were uh, um, the the early stages of the film. We there's a there's a scene where um, Bilbo Baggins is um, sitting outside his uh, his house in the garden and he's smoking his pipe. And along comes Gandalf, the uh, the wizard, and uh, he's standing there in front of uh, Bilbo. And Bilbo looks up and he's, there's, a, there's an awkward silence, and then. He says after a minute, good morning. And uh, Gandalf looks at him and then he says, what do you mean, good morning? Do you wish me good morning or do, uh, or, or do you declare that this is a good morning, whether I want it or not? Or are you saying that you feel it is a good morning? Uh, you feel, sorry, or are you saying that you feel good on this particular morning? Or simply stating it is a morning to be good on. And Bilbo looks at him with some confusion and eventually says, well, all at once, I suppose. What it illustrates is that Bilbo had said good morning, but he, he really had no power to, 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 to affect anything in, in, in Gandalf's life. And he was saying it simply out of politeness. There was no real thought behind what he was saying until he was challenged. And, and this is true of a lot of people of Paul's day. They would say, peace to you, but they really didn't have any power to, to change anything. And many times they were quite thoughtless about making those, those statements. But, and this, of course, is a problem of words. We're, we're, and we live in a, a world today, of course, where we, we, we need peace. Peace in, in, in the days, whether they be invading armies or whether they be invading viruses, we're living in a world where we need peace, peace of mind, peace of heart, peace for today, peace for tomorrow. The need of our world is the same as it was in the days of the Apostle Paul, peace to you. Now we're reminded in Second uh, uh, Timothy in chapter 3 verse 16 there, Paul reminds Timothy that all scripture is inspired by God, the Greek word theonoustos, which means God breathed. And uh, so we're reminded that this is no ordinary book, the Bible. And we're reminded, too, that this is no ordinary letter included in the Bible, this letter to the Galatians. They are, these are no empty words. And we need to be careful when we come to the scriptures that we recognize that there are no empty words. There are no meaningless words. There are no powerless words within the scripture. And so when we look at this greeting, great, a peace to you, which is included in what Paul says here, we need to acknowledge that there is real depth and real meaning and real purpose behind it. This is not a glib statement or even a, a sincere proclamation or a prayer, but it is something that it delivers real hope and real change for the lives of the people to whom he writes. Paul prays his blessing upon all the churches, but uh, never more so than upon these Galatians who are in such confusion 
and in such danger of losing their peace. Now, what do we mean by peace? What do we mean by peace? The Oxford Dictionary, for example, describes peace as the... Uh, sorry, what do we mean by grace? Sorry, grace. What do we mean by grace? Grace, the Oxford Dictionary describes as the unmerited favour of God, the unmerited favour of God, the divine, regenerating and inspiring. That's how it is described within the Oxford Dictionary. And grace is the gateway to all the blessings that God would have for us. Grace to you is not a, 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 a light statement, but it, it, it offers all the blessings of God in that statement. Now, grace can be looked at in two ways. There are two types of grace. And the first is common grace. And uh, this is God's benevolent kindness towards our world in general. And uh, Louis Burkhoff, in his uh, Systematic Theology, which I could recommend to you, describing common grace, he said it curbs the destructive power of sin. It maintains in a measure the moral order of the universe, thus making an orderly life possible. It distributes in various degrees the gifts and talents among men. It promotes the development of science and art and showers untold blessings upon the children of men. Common grace, grace to everybody. Grace to those who are good, grace to those who aren't good, grace to those who are kind, grace to those who are not kind. Common grace is distributed to everybody. And as I was reading those words by Louis Burkhoff, I was reminded of some of the people who are so antagonistic towards God and so antagonistic toward Jesus Christ, and yet they are such recipients of common grace. If you take, for example, Richard Dawkins, who is so um, antagonistic towards the gospel, here is a man who has, uh, who has earned his reputation through biology, and that is the study of all the wonders of common grace that God has in the world and God offers to us freely in the world. All the wonders of creation. This man is the recipient of common grace and he examines common grace. He's not only that, but he's a man who is intelligent. God has given him an intelligent mind. He has been able to, uh, uh, to get degrees and become a professor and earn good money. He's uh, generally, he's had good health, although he hasn't been so well lately. He's a recipient, a, 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 a classic recipient, if you like, of, of common grace. And yet he's a man who was turned away and uh, criticized and uh, behaved so in such a derogatory manner towards uh, Christians. And yet God hasn't taken away those gifts of common grace, they are still there for him. This is common grace. Sometimes the psalmist couldn't understand. He, he looks at the world, he sees people who are really blessed. He says that he, he looks at them, he says, he says, these people are wicked people, and yet they are, they are benefiting and they are getting on better than I am. And I'm a man of God. And he didn't understand it until he went to the house of the Lord. But God didn't take away the blessings of common grace. 
but the psalmist recognized that would be a day coming where there would be accountability for that. Jesus himself describes uh, common grace in, uh, in Matthew's gospel in chapter 5 from verse 44 there. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So good people, bad people still get the blessings of common grace. But Paul's greatest, greater concern here, of course, is the gift or the, is in respect to particular grace, which is the grace that is only experienced through God's covenant of grace. Paul's inspired greeting is for gracious. He's concerned that they should uh, enjoy good health and good wealth, and they should enjoy the sunshine and have good, uh, uh, good weather for their crops, etc. But more than that, he's concerned that they should be participants of the covenant of grace, that they should have peace through this covenant of grace. Because you can't have one without the other. Grace and peace come as a package in that particular respect. You can't have peace without grace. You can't have grace without peace. You cannot separate grace and peace. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have peace without grace. And peace is the evidence and the inevitable consequence of grace. Where there is fear, where there is division, where there is legalism, that is a church without grace. Hendrickson, in his uh, commentary, tells us that uh, it's God's spontaneous unmerited favour in action. The judge who declares the penalty cancels the guilt and adopts as his own son. That is particular grace. That is a grace that Paul is speaking of uh, particularly here. Because this was Paul's message. Man stands condemned, helpless, a, a sinner before a, a holy God, but God has sent his son. God has paid the debt on that cross at Calvary. God then takes the sinner and adopts that sinner as his own child. But the message of the Judaizers was a very different message. It was a message of compromise. You do your part and Jesus will do his. You pride yourself in your good works, your rituals, your religiosity and self-righteousness. A subtle message that has infiltrated the church down through the centuries, whether it be through the cults, whether it be through the Roman Catholic Church, whether it be through Arminianism, which has infiltrated our churches down to the ages and has cost the souls of countless, countless numbers of people. Grace is the only way to get peace. We can, it's the only way we can ever know real peace. Romans chapter 3 verse 9 tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.21 tells us that, but now a righteousness from God appears apart from the law. 
And Romans 5 verse 1 tells us, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God cancels our sins. He regenerates us by his spirit. He clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus and he declares us saved. And when God looks upon us, he does not see us. He does not see our sin, but he sees Jesus' righteousness because God has clothed us in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, a bit of application of this because it's so important that we understand the, the value and the, the, the difference that it makes to our lives. First of all, this is a Christian state or position. Grace is the state or the position of every Christian. You see, I, I may have doubts and fears at times. I may make mistakes at times. I may not always feel saved at times, but I am saved because I've accepted Jesus as my saviour. It's a state of grace, whether I feel like it or not. And sometimes Christians think that because they don't feel saved or because this has happened, because that happened, somehow that's changed something. It hasn't. The state of grace is a permanent state. And you and I as Christians, we that is our position in Jesus Christ, that we are saved, whether we feel like it. We are saved, whether the world blows up or whether it doesn't. Whatever our life, whatever comes our way, we are still saved. And it means that I can always go to God. And I need never fear going to God. Because I'm always accepted. And I'm accepted because of the grace of God. I, I, I may feel very guilty at times. I may feel I've blown it at times. I may feel that, you know, that God is going to be angry and he might, be, he might not be very happy with me. But as a father accepts his children, God always accepts us. Yes, he may chastise us. The Bible says that, that God chastises every child and every child he brings into the kingdom. God treats us as children and he may give us a rough time if we misbehave. And that's what the Bible teaches us. But he will never turn us away because we are in that state of grace. It is a permanent state for you and I as Christians. And it brings to us a great sense of peace and security and that's what god wants us to have now the second thing we find about grace is that grace is essential for the peace with other people it's essential for peace with other people you see these galatians had turned from grace and they'd become very different people they had been happy people they had been secure people they had been kindly people they'd been joyful people under Paul's ministry, but now something had changed. Now they were different. Now they were arrogant. Now they were proud. Now they were critical. Now they were cold. Now they were legalistic. And it was because of this attitude and because of what the Judaizers had done and because they changed their feelings towards God and they confused them. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 15, Paul challenges them. He says, what happened to your joy? 
What happened to your joy? Their joy had gone. Why? Because they were confused now. And because they, they, they were not living, they were not uh, living out the grace that God had called them to live out. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15 to 20. Remember that chapter where, uh, where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about forgiveness and he's talking about reconciling a brother. And uh, Jesus said, I want you to forgive. And uh, you remember that uh, Peter, he was, thought he uh, was really going to be top of the class. He says, uh, you want me to give, forgive seven times, Jesus? And Jesus said, no, not seven times, seven times seven. And he didn't even mean that, what Jesus was saying. He said, I want you to forgive and to forgive and to forgive and to forgive. You know, I've met people in church life and they say, you know, there, there's somebody I can't forgive. You may have met them as well. People in church life and they say, well, I can forgive lots of people, but I, I can't forgive this person. And I can't forgive that person. And they, and they hold resentment and it, and, it, and, it, and it infests their life and it, it ruins their Christian experience. I tell you, if you understand grace, you can forgive anybody. If you've been to Calvary, you can forgive anybody. If you see what it's like to see Jesus on that cross, dying for you, for all the sins that you've ever committed, you can forgive anybody. I can forgive anybody because of the fact that I have been the recipient of grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And I'm still a recipient of it time and time again when I make mistakes. We can forgive anybody, my friends, today. There should be nobody in our congregation who says, I can't forgive that. I can't forgive this. I'm going to hold this resentment because they need to go to the cross again. They need to take a good look at that cross again. And when you do that, you can never say, I cannot forgive. Thirdly, I want to say that grace is essential in the conflict with the principalities and the powers of darkness. That, that, um, that passage that we read from uh, Ephesians chapter 6 there, uh, put on the full armor of God so that you can Take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sat satanic forces come to steal and to kill and to destroy, to confuse and to, uh, to, confuse and, and to accuse us as Christians. And the only way you're going to be able to stand against that is under the banner of God's grace. The Bible says, take the shield of faith to protect yourself from the fiery darts of the enemy. Now the apostle Paul knew what it was to have fiery darts. He talks about the fiery darts of the enemy. There was a time when he uh, had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. We don't know quite what that was. There is a, a difference of opinion, but what we do know is that whatever it was, it brought a message from Satan and that message was, is you're not good enough. Or you've done too much wrong. And God doesn't love you anymore. Because that's the message that Satan brings all the time. Brings it to you, brings it to me. You're not a Christian. God doesn't love you. Look at your life. Look at the things you've done wrong. 
Look at the sickness that you're enduring. Look at those family members that have become ill and you've prayed for them and they haven't recovered or this and that hasn't happened. And the fiery darts come and come and come and come again. There's only one thing that stands against that and it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God to know who we are, to know how we stand, to know that the grace of God and the salvation that we have is permanent, secure, and that we can always go to God and always have an, God's ear when we come to him. You know, during lockdown, I've been uh, reading, I'm sure some of you have been reading as well. I've been, I've been reading a book which may sound a little bit strange to read. It's called Leaving the Fold, Leaving the Fold. And it was written by a psychologist uh, who claims to have been a Christian, but is, says that she's no longer a Christian. And she talks about leaving the Christian faith. And uh, she describes um, what she considers to be Christianity. And she says that it's toxic, that it controls, that it fills you with guilt and fear, that it ruins your mental health. And she says, get out, get out of this fold, get out of this Christianity and you will feel better and you will feel happier and you will, your mental health will improve. What she doesn't realize is that she's describing toxic religion. She's not describing Christianity. She's describing another gospel, another gospel. And we need to understand that there is another gospel and there are those who are hurting. And there are those who have been damaged by what has been supposedly Christianity when it hasn't been at all. Jesus doesn't ruin your mental health. He improves it. Jesus doesn't damage you. He makes you better. Jesus doesn't tear you apart. He makes you whole. That's Christianity. What Paul preached to the Galatians was that which made them whole. What the Judaizers preached to the Galatians was that which would tear them apart, ruin their lives. And that's what we need to be very careful of as we proclaim the gospel. We need to save people who have been ruined by false gospels. That is part of the, that is part of the work of the church, is to bring back and to heal those who have been so badly damaged. Now, my last point very briefly is this, that Paul establishes the fact that grace and peace come through God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll address this, God willing, in more detail in, uh, in future studies. But I want to just point out there is no grace without both. There's no grace without both God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm talking about both common grace and particular grace we've identified this morning that common grace or, or sorry particular grace requires and, and is particularly um, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ that Jesus went to the cross on behalf of God the Father he died upon that cross he saved us from our sins and that is particular grace but it's good to remind ourselves that common grace also comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. John's Gospel chapter 1 tells us in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that's been made. In him was life and the life was the light of all mankind. 
The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Common grace, all that we have around us, all the gifts of common grace come through God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ because nothing was made that he did not make. Particular grace comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ because God the Father sent him. Jesus died upon that cross and of course the Holy Spirit administers grace to us. Grace comes from the Trinity. God, in all aspects, the grace of God is through the triune God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May God bless those thoughts and that re- from the, God's word this morning. And God willing, in the weeks ahead, we will look in more into detail of this glorious gospel, this glorious gospel through this Galatian epistle. Amen. <laughs>